Hello and welcome to the Aquarius Podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Aquarium Co-op. Aquarium Co-op is the premier destination for all your aquarium needs, from live plants to Aquarium Co-op brine shrimp eggs. Not only is the Aquarium Co-op the single greatest place to buy your freshwater products, but the Co-op also has an awesome YouTube channel where you can see everything from DIY videos featuring Master Breeder Dean, fish collecting trips, fish farm tours, and weekly live streams with the Nerm King himself, Corey Reese's Pieces McElroy. So head over to AquariumCoop.com and get all the goodies. Now, on to the interview. Today's date is Tuesday, February 9th, 2021. My guest today is Mark Chen. Mark is the founder of Nature Design Studio, a nature-inspired green space design company. Clients of Nature Design Studio span the globe, including China, Indonesia, Mexico, and the United States. He has a passion for aquascaping large aquariums, with the smallest being around 300 gallons. Mark's also done international fish collecting in China and Colombia. And a lot of people might better know Mark from his wildly popular Instagram page, TMK Aquarist. So Mark, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Randy. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, uh, I'm a fan of the podcast, so it's really great to finally be able to... uh, uh, appear on the other side of the mic. Yeah, so, for thanks. sure, man. And it's uh, you got to see a little bit behind the Wizard of Oz kind of curtain of of seeing that pre-interview process and kind of you Looks know us. pretty good to me. <laughs> I I think it's goofy, but uh, but you know I'm glad that you you uh, you enjoyed it, you appreciated it, and we got a little you know chance to to get to know each other a little bit better. So for sure, um, yeah. I guess anytime I let somebody behind the veil, I feel a little vulnerable. And uh, yeah, but it it's worked out for us though. So Mark, we I mean we talked about so much stuff in the pre-interview section, like so many different directions to take this podcast should we just jump straight into like just your your origin knock that out not that yeah, i don't want to say knock it out like it doesn't deserve time but you know between collecting international stuff aquascaping massive things like what's green space design it's like i almost want to jump yeah, straight into that too but. much to talk about to cover <laughs> well we've got one one uh, one episode's length so yeah we, we definitely have to like do uh like a very brief you know, t- like touch and go episode on like all these, uh, uh, you know, different topics. And then maybe later on, if you're interested, we can like dive, like dive into one particular or like, you know, just a couple of them. I like, like it. Depth I like it, Mark. You're, you're setting this up, man. You are going to be a very, very easy guest to have on the podcast. This is just going to be like, this is like if I owned a Tesla, if I had one of those like autopilot features, it would almost be like Mark is the autopilot and I'm just sitting back, like enjoying the ride on Highway <laughs> Thanks, 5 or man. something. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, but uh, but I, I don't I don't put those like what are those like little dummy hands that they put on there to trick the steering wheel to think that you're actually driving it or something? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> I, I think that's that. a thing. That's a thing. All right, three minutes in, we're already talking about Teslas. Let's get let's get back to uh, all right, Mark. What is your origin story? How did you get uh, started in this hobby? Yeah, so growing up, my mom had a uh, goldfish tank in when that this was when I was in China. So I think around like nine or ten. And then um, I had an innate, you know, um, interest in nature. I've always wanted, like, you know, uh, like, loved insects. And I used to be, you know, like, when I was little, I used to catch them and, like, you know, play around with them and everything. I remember, like, we you, we used to have this uh, uh, these fireability newts. And I started with the, the newts. And then I remembered very distinctly, actually, that when I had the nudes, right, I wanted to recreate something that's very natural, like a natural environment for them. But then that, like I was eight nice. or nine. So I had the, you know, that interest. 
uh, innate interest in like recreating nature in like a you know just a home or captive environment. It's just that like I was so young that I, you know, didn't like didn't know anything about it. So obviously, I left the tank slit. Like I I didn't put lit on the tank, and the news out crowd out, and you know got got dried up. Oh, so no. <laughs> that was a bad experience that sent me to just kind of like I, I stopped keeping uh, aquatic, uh, you know, aquatic animals mm-hmm. since that since that point. And then I didn't keep anything really until when I got into college. And this is when I was, um, you know, in L.A. already. And then just once like one day I passed by a fish store and then I was like, hey, I just go go in and check it out, and then that was it. So I got, a, I think I got a twenty gallons with some uh, African cichlids. Yeah, like yellow laps. I, I don't, then, know, I don't know if it's like this for normal people, but I, maybe maybe people inherently have that kind of aquarist gene in them, where all it takes if they don't have an aquarium is just to kind of like wander into a pet store and see the aquariums, and then that's just like instant. You know, that gene inside of them, you know, inside of us gets triggered. And it's like, yep, got to get that tank. Got to get that thing set up. I think so, man. So it just kind of uh, blew up, really, from that tank. Literally, because I cracked that tank. <laughs> like, <laughs> Literally blew yeah. up. Nice. So, so, yeah. So that one got quickly uh, upgraded to, like, a 40. And then hold on, hold on. Uh, through how'd, a friend. How'd you, how'd you crack it? What, what were you doing? Were you, like, moving it around or... I, yeah, I don't remember. Dropping I think rocks. I was working out with with some dumbbells, and then I kind of like just did, forgot about like the exist like that the placement of the tank. And I was, you know, renting like a very small guest room in like somebody's house. So when I turned, I think oh, I no. accidentally bumped into the glass you or something ju- like that. You were just getting your 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 bicep Tuesday on, and we're just getting real into it, and just swung <laughs> that dumbbell and whack right into the aquarium. Oh man! I don't know. I, I forgot, but yeah, I think uh, maybe I just like kind of turned around, forgot like the fish tank was well, there. Let's, let, let's give that aquarium a little bit of uh, a little bit of remembrance. What what was in that thing? Was it you know? Did you go fully into planted aquascape? Was it you know fake oh, plants, no. decorations? Like, it was a it was a just very very typical beginner's tank, right? Like with some. Uh, I remember I just had like some gravels. Right. And then um, some stones. I, w- I was never into like the the fake uh, shark or whatever, like those kind of uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Toilet, like, you know, the kids decoration. Sure, sure. However, um, I knew I wanted to make it natural. It's just that like, you know, when you're a beginner, you don't know how to pick out materials like you just don't know. Uh, you just grab whatever, right. you know, that's available. Right. So I just grab like the round uh, gravels and then. Um, put some i try to put some plants in there but then of course they'll, they'll die uh in, in a few days or, or they like, float you know, away you can't get them yeah, actually into the substrate and all that fun stuff and then you know the yellow labs they'll just dig and then <laughs> dig them out nice. whatever yeah, yeah so that tank quickly got got to a 40 and then i think uh another friend gave me like one of the his tanks and then so I had like you know one or two tanks in the beginning, and then it quickly got to a hundred gallons, I believe. Right, 
It was like 100 gallons, and then I got into Monster Fish. And you're still, are you still renting a room from from one of your friends, or well, have I you moved? moved? To another okay. Place. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Moved that would because that like would be awesome place. if you set up a monster tank in like a small room that you were <laughs> renting. That would just be like, oh yeah, yeah, you're I, a hardcore Aquarist if you do that. And then I'll be probably kicked out like real quick. You just but, don't let them uh, in. Well, you do yeah, water changes sugar. when they're not home. <laughs> sure. Yeah. They don't, so they don't notice their water bill skyrocketing. Was that? I said they don't notice their water bill skyrocketing because you're doing all the water changes when they're not home. <laughs> exactly. So uh, with the the hundred gallons, I really got into uh, monster fish, and then especially the South or Central American rather Central American cichlids. And I remember when I first saw, you know, Feste Mesohiro Feste is probably still one of the, my uh, my favorite fish of all time. So I remember when I saw the, uh, you know, they're, they're commonly called red terror, right? And then it was on the forum, a monster, monster fish keepers forum. And then I saw that fish, I was like immediately just fell in love with it. And that was back in the days where red terror was still a little bit hard to get your hands on. And then I had to, you know, like just try to find them locally, I remember. And then I went to this one fish store and then they had had one right they had one live mm -hmm. and then I, I just can't i can't forget that feeling just because when you see something like that you really just want it for a long time and then you really see it in person yeah that feeling like i yeah it's it's pretty special yeah yeah well that it, fish was will always be a special special well, fishing what was your experience with the uh with the red terrors I quickly found out that they don't like their tank mates that all that much. <laughs> <laughs> and then they had a As the name might uh, imply. So you, you yeah, just, you just got they the... They had a pretty uh, nasty um, power to destroy, you know, their tank mates. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so definitely need to provide them with, uh, like, ample space, right? And then there are a lot of things that I learned from that fish just because, um, you know, I just how how special their colors are and then i i think one thing i found out early on is that they change their color pretty wildly right so according to their mood they yeah. can just bright like you know be really pretty or they just like be dark mm -hmm. as a like 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 just whatever food fish like the tilapia you find in the market mm -hmm. yeah so that is something that I learned from about that fish. Did you get a, a male female pair or did you just get the one? Um no, I I had I had pairs. Okay. So after um after I had one or two of them and then I actually was able to land my hands on a wild pair, right? Mm. So and they were full grown too. Well, not not quite full grown, but adult size. And I was like just really excited about the pair. And then they they bonded uh, immediately in the tank and everything. However, I was so noob, noob, like I was such a noob, and then I didn't know how to treat like you know disease or like quarantine them and everything. So obviously, like I, they were just because they were wild caught, so they were just having you know some internal parasites, right, right. easy to treat, right? Like with some prosy and uh, maybe maybe even metro, you'll be able to treat that mm -hmm. with no problem. I know that now, but then back then I didn't. For sure. So I went to a fish store where, you know, the owner was, uh, you know, self-titled, like, fish doctor. And he nice. gave me these, uh, yeah, he just said, oh, yeah, yeah, 
you need to nuke that tank. Oh boy. And then he's like, actually, give me these penicillins. Like human, human like, grade penicillin? Like for human. Nice. Yeah. And then he just told me how many grams per, like, per gallon, just put that in there, nuke that tank, and, <laughs> and the fish will be fine. Uh, I was like, all right, okay, let's, let's give this a try. And sure enough, the second day, both fish died. Oh. I was so crushed. So I was so devastated, and uh, that made me quit the hobby entirely. Oh, for my goodness. Years. Yeah. So that that is an important lesson right there of why I've I have been, you know, I, I'm trust but verify, I guess, when it comes to like YouTubers and social media people giving out all this fish advice or like regurgitating information without actually having the firsthand knowledge, because exactly. stuff like that can happen, right? Stuff oh, yeah. like that can happen where you've got somebody that is still relatively new in the hobby, whether they're completely new or they still maybe with, they're within their first year of keeping fish, right? And to go and like give them that information without you ever actually testing it yourself or you heard it from somebody who heard it from somebody who read it on a forum and nobody knows like if it's actually legit or not. And then they have that experience that actually drives them from the hobby is like the worst possible thing that we could want. Right. And that's why it's sure, you know, that's why, again, I'm very much very critical of, OK, you, you're going to be on, you know, you're going to be on YouTube or you're going to be on Instagram and you're going to be sharing knowledge. Right. You're going to be passing along treatments and diagnosis and, and what to do. Uh, but you kind of really don't even know, like you're just kind of passing it along to pass it along. Like that's very, very dangerous. Like it's a very um, it is, if you man. have a social media platform, like you have to be like it's freaking Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. Because well, the outcome, you know what they say, like the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I mean, yeah. these guys, I mean, I, I think their heart's in the right place. It's just that uh, sometimes they feel a little bit obligated to, you know, help their followers out or whatever. So, I mean, it's one thing for me sometimes even, you know, like when somebody uh, DM me a question regarding fish disease, whatever, I kind of feel a little bit obligated to help them out. So even if I don't know the disease, like actually, <laughs> actually go on, go online and research a little bit and then tell them, Hey, like, this is what I found. But then I, you know, I'll, I'll be upfront about it. I'll tell them that I don't, I'm not sure. Right. Like, and I think that's just, perfect. I did a little research on uh, 100%. it. A hundred percent. I think that that is, that is a very good direction to go. But for somebody to have such confidence, like, oh yeah, 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 this, oh, is, yeah. this is, no, yeah, let's let, let's drop some penicillin bombs in that thing and let's see what happens. Or you know what you I, need. I remember he has the fish store. Come on, like, or it's like it's you, you you need to take a shot of Ikex, swirl it around your mouth, and spit it in the tank, and that's that's the magical cure right there. Which nobody, please, please don't do that. But uh, something like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. So what got you back into the hobby? So out of all the fish, right, that I could have, is it was actually betas. Hmm. I was never interested in betas until. Just this one time I was walking around a uh, fish store, or not a fish store, uh, PetSmart, or Petco, rather. And then I saw these uh, fancy betas. So the betas, you know, back then was all just, you know, like the your very typical betas, right? Flo not, flowing no, tails, just fancy like ones. solid flowing tails, blue color, you know, blue, black right. color, maybe get some red splashed in there. Yeah, exactly. So Petco started bringing these... Uh, uh, fancy ones, right? And then I, I saw like two of them that really caught my eye, right? And then I was like, man, these are really, they look really good. And my desk's kind of like, you know, it's kind of empty, so <laughs> might as well. <laughs> so I grabbed them and then that was it. Like, so it started from uh, beta and then quickly got into, I got a 150, like right 
right after that, and then got like got got my fest days, right? Red hairs back. I love that. Then, I love. I want. I want to graph that. I want to graph like gallons that you're keeping versus time duration. And you've got this big chunk when you're not keeping after the red tears, and then all of a sudden yeah. you get this little bump when you when you get your bettas, and then like exactly. two days later on the graph, it's like shoots up to 150 gallons. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like how uh, Bitcoin's doing right now. Is it, what is a Bitcoin back up and doing well? Oh yeah, it's like it's ridiculous. I'm out of. I'm so out of all that stuff, dude. I don't. I just <laughs> yeah, know that like crazy. there was something about GameStop, and then it's gone. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it's crazy. Back. If you look at it. Yeah. Oh man. All right. Let's Anyways, get back to fish. Right, so uh, from from the 120, I pretty quickly got another tank, which um, this was when I was renovating my place. So I thought, you know what, like, since I'm back into the hobby, I need to, I had all these big plans, right? So I was looking for a tank that's, you know, like uh, the main tank, main display tank for, for the, uh, my place. So I found this uh, 450 gallons from uh, like another, uh, you know, another hobbyist. And then that was it. Like I was like, oh man, this tank's perfect. It was glass, right? And then uh, just just the dimension I wanted, just uh, the type of uh, tank I wanted. So I got the t- 450, and I had this group of uh, geophagus, right? Or not geophagus, uh, Satanoparcus. Demons. Mm-hmm. So I had like about 30 of them. They were sub sub adults, so they were like tiny back then. But then, you know, they will eventually grow up to like over uh, 12 12 inches, right? So I had like a nice group of them. And then initially, I wanted to make that 450 uh, monster fish tank, right, with a group of geos and with hardscape. So it's gonna be really nice, right? But then, just in the middle of making that tank. I got really interested in plants. I've always wanted to keep plants, just uh, I never knew like the science behind it, right? So in the middle of it, I got interested in plants, and then I started, you know, to test like some plants out in the geo, you know, in in the tank with the Satanoparcus. But then I quickly found out that they pack on, you know, like stuff like they like add moss and then they just pack them off. Yeah. So I was like, you know what, you guys. Just ruined the best life you guys are gonna have. I'm, I'm switching directions. I'm not gonna keep like you know the 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 bunch of uh, uh, demons in in the 450 anymore. I'm gonna do this 450 as a planted tank, like a legit full-on planted tank. And to think back, I was like, man, I was really dumb to <laughs> wanting to start a planted tank. With the 450 gallons. Well, that's that was that's, just the dumbest thing. Like I wouldn't recommend to anybody. Well, in driving right? driving up here today, and in, in kind of like you know how to, you know, one direction for us to go in this conversation today is the difficulty, at least that I've experienced in trying to aquascape, trying to hardscape a large tank. Right. So me having a what was that thing I got rid of? Like a 150? Was it a 150 or a 200? Whatever I had in my fish room that I ended up having the dump guys come take away. But I tried to like aquascape that with, you know, just simple Anubiuses and a lot of Java Fern, and I failed miserably. And I feel like it is su- like it is exponentially more difficult to aquascape a tank as you increase the gallonage, right? Like, it's, not, sure. a, it's not like a linear progression. I feel no, like, I don't know what it is. I don't know the science behind it, 
but it has to be exponential. It is exponentially more difficult to aquascape a 100-gallon tank than it would be a 50-gallon tank, and it's not just like a 2x kind of thing. Like it's it's got to be you know some some to the power as you increase beyond a certain gallonage. I really think so because just the space and the you know, like when you're drawing something, it's like a two-dimensional canvas, right? And then when it's big, like you probably, you know, like you have to uh, broaden your strokes and, you know, like really fill those, like the, the extra space. But then when it comes to a fish tank, it's a three-dimensional space. And then you're trying to fill like a, like a huge, big, like big space like that. And you need, just in terms of uh, the material requirements, mm-hmm. you need a lot more materials. And this one was... Um, you know, just a a, a, a pretty a noob hobbyist still, I, I think, at that point. And then I did not have, like, all the resources that I have now. And then, you know, like, all the materials, I actually collected them, you know, locally mm-hmm. from mountains and whatnot. So just, just collecting trips, I think I, I made more than 30 trips to the local mountains just to, you know pick up like different stones or like pick up different logs. I remember on this one hike uh, in in the main tank that I have, still have, like the 450 that I still have, which I named the river, I have this main, like main log, right? That is probably seven or eight feet long or seven feet long, I think. It's a branch of uh, this pine tree. It's thick too. So I remember I, I was hiking and then on my way down the hike, I saw that branch just laying, so like just nicely, and then it was it it had my name on it, like it was calling out to me, right? And then I picked it up and I sized it up, and then I'm like, oh man, this thing fits perfectly in my thing. I don't have to do any trimming or whatever, but it was heavy, so I had to <laughs> like, and it was long, right? So I had to freaking get this thing on my shoulder, and then I just walked out, like you know, and other hikers are like, what are you doing with that thing, right? <laughs> and I, like some. Like swinging it around, and <laughs> yeah, some of some of them actually asked me like, what, "What are you doing with that?" And then I was like, "Oh, like you know, how in nature like you shouldn't like take anything from nature, or whatever." But then I was like, "Should I tell them?" And then people don't people won't get it, right? If it's like I just tell them it's from a fish tank, people won't get it. So I just told them I was training for a marathon. Yeah, but this is <laughs> I mean this is this is Southern California, and this is a downed like limb, right? Yeah. So I, I would look at it this way. California is a tinderbox for fires as it is. Exactly. You are just doing your part to help remove <laughs> right. the tinder that will eventually catch on fire and continue to burn that state. So That's the way I look well, at it. Well done, Mark. Good job, man. Good job being a good Californian. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, it, so it, hike down like 40 minutes with that thing on my shoulder to bring it home. But, um, yeah. That's, it's, awesome. It's That's awesome. Nice. And so, like with with pine, and you know, I know things like manzanita and uh, basically spiderwood, like which is azalea root and um, uh, Malaysian driftwood, whatever the heck that that tree that 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 um, uh, tree is or that that shrub, whatever uh, pine. Is there anything special that you need to do to a pine branch to make sure it's aquarium safe, or is it inherently one of those woods that oh yeah, it's fine as long as it's dry? Yeah, I think it's just. As long as it's dry, and then you um, you basically try to you know kill whatever inherent bacteria that that, that would be on the on the tree. So what I do usually with big pieces like that, since you can't obviously you can't soak it, and it's just to do a, a ten part water, one part bleach, 
cut on the spray and then mm. just like spray it down really well hose it down later on and then let it completely dry yeah because the other alternative is like put you know get a big your biggest pot of boiling water on your stove top and then boil like a rock or boil um like uh, roots and whatnot if you're going to put them in your aquarium you know to kind of do the sanitization but obviously in this instance you know unless you're going to borrow some massive hotels kitchen with their massive boiler like probably not feasible for the normal you know suburban dweller. right usually i find like usually in most cases i find that um with these a lot of these natural materials is really just a good power wash mm. uh, good hose down because a lot of people will worry about the the tannin that will leach from the uh wood materials right but then if you're really worried about the bacteria side of things, I tend to think that um, they are not as harmful or like they're not as dangerous. So with the really good power wash, some uh, mo- most cases your fish are going to be fine. Mm. Okay, well, that's good. To from know. my experience, yeah, anyway. yeah. That we always got to throw that caveat out there from from Mark's experience. Asterisks. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, I've done a lot of collecting of uh, natural materials, uh, you know, from different type of trees. And most of them are just, you know, they'll, they'll do fine as aquascaping materials. Do you ever do the, um, what's the acid that you use to test rocks to see if they're going to leach anything into your water? Do you do that test? I've done that with the, with this slate material, mm-hmm. the slate stone that I used for the grotto. Because that's never been, well, not, not never been done before, but I've seen people do it, and then I did a lot of research, actually, before I, I tried out that material. And then that material, basically, uh, I did it, and then, you know, with that test, and, you know, it proved to be, I guess, safe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't react with the acid because there's nothing it doesn't, in the slate. Right. Yeah. So, so like, I mean, like, usually definitely don't safe use limestone, one. right? Mm-hmm. But. Uh, if you're exploring different materials, definitely try to do as much much research as you can, and then test as much as you can. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, so then, how do how do we progress then to the point where you know you start uh, you you found you're a founder of Nature Design Studio? So where does that come into play? Oh yeah. So with that with the river, basically the the building of the river in itself is a whole sto- a whole story. Um, but anyway, so during that build, right, I got a lot of followers on Instagram just from that build. And then through, you know, just accumulation of um, contents and followers, I was able to kind of um, get in touch with people in the industry, right? So I collaborated uh, on this one project with Infinity Aquariums. They're a high-end, you know, aquarium designer in L.A., and then I collaborated on a project of theirs, and then kind of kind of got some attention from you know people or within the industry. And then I actually also uh, got in touch with Judy, who's my partner, Judy Pagino, who's my partner. So he's out in based in Indonesia, and then he's on Instagram. So I, we follow each other, and then uh, we you know became friends over Instagram. And he actually asked me for some favors, um, which I, you know, gladly obliged. So through that connection, he invited me out to visit him 
in Indonesia to see his projects and whatnot. What what year are we in right now? This was 2018. Okay. Yeah, this was 2018. And then we were going to attend the uh, CIPS in China, CIPS in China, mm-hmm. uh, in 2018, yeah. And then... So the the plan was to for me to fly to Indonesia and then we'll go to Sibs together. However, he didn't make it to Sibs because of his project and schedules. But then I was able to actually visit him in Indonesia. So the first ta- first visit we really hit it off. Like we have, you know, the same type of ins- uh, aspirations and uh, you know, we're, like our dreams pretty aligned. And then. The conversation didn't really turn into like a partnership or whatever serious, right? During that time, so after I flew back, I just like every day I would be thinking about, you know, starting a business because I I've seen how he does uh, his business and I see just a lot of potentials and it's just uh, it kind of opened my eyes to the possibilities of things, and then since this thing. You know, like uh, aquariums has been my passion for the past 10 to 15 years. And it's funny because every room, every new house or new room or new space that I go go into, the first thing that pops in my mind is that corner is a great corner for aquarium. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like all the time. So this is like, it happens all the time for me. So... I I wanted to make a career in this hobby or, you know, do something with this hobby for the longest time. I just never knew how to get into it. And then, um, so I talked with Judy, right? I talked with him for a long time. And then he actually invited me out for a second time because he was building this uh, public aquarium. And it was a you know, like a once in a lifetime kind of experience for me. And then I already used up all my vacation time for my job. And then, you know, I have to really talk to my wife about it. And my wife was being like, she was super supportive, right? She was like, you know what? Like you can always get a job, right? (laughs) But then this (laughs) type of uh, opportunities don't come along very often. So, uh, you, you you should, you should take it. What's your, what's your your day job? What's your day job right now at this time? At that time, I was a marketing director for, okay. uh, yeah, for a for a company, healthcare company. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So the gig was really good. Yeah, I mean, like yeah. I, I got to work remotely like three three days out of the week, and the pay was good. So it was a pretty hard thing for me to decide. It's scary. It's scary. It was you know, very very scary. Something. I mean, I have a, a well, my daughter was two back then. And then we we you know have mortgages and everything, so it was a yeah it was a leap of faith for sure yeah. But all along that journey, I really got got really interested in entrepreneurship, so I started reading a lot of books, you know, listen to a lot of podcasts, and then I think this one book really nudged me off, you know, like had that final nudge for me, which is the um, Star with Why by Simon Sinek. So that book really, you know, asks you the question of why are you starting a business, right? Why are you trying to do what you do? So that 
kind of got me thinking. And before, I always just knew that I wanted to start a business with fish tanks, right? With with designing aquariums, because it's a it's a passion of mine. But then when I, you know, thought about it a little bit deeper, I thought, you know, um, if I can actually bring aquascape or you know the the beauty of the underwater world, right? Like especially in freshwater, in front of a, a big audience, then I can actually have people appreciate the beauty of nature a little bit more. When people appreciate something, they will naturally want to find out more about it. Mm-hmm. When they find out more about it, then they start caring, and you know, once you care about something, you naturally want to protect it. So it just made the most sense and the most natural sense for me to do this, to raise awareness for freshwater environments. Therefore, to, um, you know, it's something I call conservation through appreciation, right? So to wake people up to, or just let people know that, you know, our freshwater resources are fat, like, you know, fast depleting, really, um, you know, by building dams and all these things. So that really kind of uh, did the did the trick for me. And then I was like, yo, yeah, there's, you gotta, I don't have you need to You need to sync up with uh, Harmony Patricio from Shoal. Did you listen to that episode yet? I did. Yeah. yeah so, I, I mean, you know, syncing up with them and because, you know, they're, they're working with Dr. Anthony Maserol. You're also supporting Dr. Anthony Maserol, uh, Amazon yeah. Research Center. Shout out. Dr. Maserol, there you go. If you don't know who that is, I'll I'll, I'll try to remember to have a link in the show notes. But uh, yeah, that's that's totally awesome though. Like that um, that drive to conserve, and especially in this hobby where you know these fish, most of them may may now come from a farm, but at one point, right, and maybe hopefully still to this day, they come from you know a natural wild body of water, right? Whether it's a lake, it's a stream, it's a river, um, estuary, whatever it is, and so you know. The neon tetra, the you know, you you name the fish that you can get in any store, the molly, the guppy, like they came from somewhere originally and are probably still there. But you know, hopefully taking that an extra step in like wanting to learn more about their habitat, um, and then if it is under like any any type of you know man caused plight, you know, is there anything that we can do? Um, obviously, most of the time, you know, they aren't in our country, right? So you have to respect other nations sovereignty and what they're going to do with their their resources um that being said you know we've got our own bodies of water here in the united states that um you know we're not taking care of the best that we probably could as well um but yeah i think uh you know i i'm 100 in alignment with your um you know uh, uh, conservation through appreciation approach and then also just the added benefit of you know the stress relieving factor of just sitting back and enjoying an aquarium and watching fish uh, do their thing and enjoy, especially like with your setups, man, that beautiful planted nature. Um, you know, it's not, it, it's, it's tough to describe. And, you know, again, we'll have links in the show notes to your Instagram page, but it's more than just like aquascape for an aquascape competition, which those aquariums are amazing. <clears throat> These are, you know, it, it's got like the, those elements of like biotope, but very, very aesthetically pleasing biotopes right where yeah you know if you do a straight up true biotope it may just kind of look brown <laughs> and you know <laughs> exactly. leaf litter everywhere and you know algae covered raw you know branches and whatnot where it's almost this you know stylized version of a biotope which i think is totally appropriate and okay um yeah so i think it's i think it's fantastic thanks man yeah uh i just think that 
you know, I love the ocean as well, right? Then, but then Ocean Conservancy is pretty out there. I mean, like, you know, there are a lot of groups that are championing for uh, Ocean Conservancy, which is great. I love that. However, you rarely, rarely hear about freshwater environment. Yeah, 100%. Conservation. Yeah, and then if you really think about it, I mean, like, that's the message I wanted to get out to the general public because... You know, most people don't, when they don't see it, they don't know it. And you don't, you never know, you don't know what you don't know, right? So a lot of them, to to them, they never just imagine, you know, um, there there's a whole world of uh, fauna and flora that's underneath the surface of freshwater, streams, lakes, what have you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so then let's talk about green space design Let, let's kind of break that down a little bit so you um you know because as we were kind of setting up your bio you know nature design studio is more than just a aquascaping company right like you've actually done right. some really really impressive i mean you've done impressive aquascapes but um you know you've done these other nature inspired you know i think there's some injection of water in there like the water does come like water features do come into play so can you help kind of unpack what green space design is yeah, for sure. Green space design is really just um, um, bringing nat- nature elements into a space, whether it's like an office setting or it's um, somebody's home. So the way I approach it is basically I want to fuse all the um, different nature elements. So when you're when you look at all the companies that are in the industry right now, you know, aquarium companies focus solely on aquariums. Pond builders focus solely on pond, right? And then you have these uh, plant wall guys, right? So plant wall guys solely focus on plant walls. But if you look at nature, nature's like, you know, nature doesn't separate out those elements. It's like you have water body and then it graduates to a land mass and then also like, you know, like plants grow on uh, cliffs. So to me, it's one holistic uh, type of uh, scenery. And then this is what I'm trying to achieve to combine all the nature elements to like almost like recreate something that that's a vivisection of a rainforest type of thing. Mm -hmm. So to me, I don't want to just focus on aquariums only. I want to build paludariums, paludariums as well. I want to do plant walls with water features as well, right? Where, you know, like uh, the plant wall could have a waterfall that falls into like a little basin where the basin has some fish in it or stuff like that. So if you look at like a lot of the Indo Indonesia scapers, what they're doing, right? They're creating type of, um, you know, design where they infuse lot of uh hardscape with water features and it's in, like it's incredible and yeah basically what that that that's pretty much what i want want to do as well mm. i mean if you go like if somebody just wants to kill 10 minutes of time and not even kill necessarily but if you go to and we'll have links again uh naturedesign.studio and just go through your gallery like the stuff that you guys have done is just it's insane like i think what's what's probably my favorite one on here I mean, it's, God, I think my favorite one's probably going to be Sunken Garden. 
30, okay, cool. 35. I mean, now that is going to be your more traditional aquarium setup, right? I know we're talking about right. kind of this, um, you know, cross section of a, of a plant wall going into a water feature, which may then trickle out into a pond, perhaps. But 3,500 gallon sunken garden nature aquarium, like I, I would pay a price of admission to go see this tank in person. Like I know this isn't somebody's <laughs> private yeah. residence, but this thing is just incredible. Yeah, I mean, my partner Judy as well, he, in Indonesia, he's building, you know, he has built really, you know, some of the larger than life setups, and he's still continuing to build, like, you know, really just these very, very unique, large setups that's just all, like, breathtaking. Mm-hmm. What's, um, what are, let, let's kind of dive into some of the challenges of setting up a huge aquarium like this to be planted and whatnot. Like what are, what are the things that you have to consider and plan for, um, at the, at the very get go when setting up a, you know, a thousand gallon or a 500 gallon plus planted aquarium with hardscape and, and all that good stuff. Yeah. I think the plumbing is definitely a key thing to consider, right. To, uh, to consider right out the bat, especially for a client that, you know, they're not going to be able to do the type of, you know, type level of maintenance that you as a hobbyist would do. And usually it's, you know, the, um, whoever designed the tank to, uh, that like these people will go maintenance on a schedule. So you have to really take that into consideration and have some type of, uh, uh, set up or a system that allows, you know, uh, Last frequent maintenance schedule, mm-hmm. right? So that's the first thing. And then for plenty tank as well, that you need to um, just know that how much flow you c- you're able to provide for this big setup, because flow is the key here, right? With the especially with the large tank. And then the second thing you will have to uh, really consider is um, where are the placement of your plumbing, right? All the inlets and outlets, and uh, I don't care uh, if you're using overflows, those have to be planned ahead of time prior to your uh, escaping the tank. Because once um, you have an idea or you have a vision of the escape that you, you want to do, you have to know, okay, so I have to accommodate where the uh, filtration systems are going to go. And then from that point on, then you can, you know, like whatever material, the hardscape material or like what type of plants that you use is almost secondary to that. So once you know that structure that you you, you want to build, then everything is pretty easy from, well, not easy, but easier. <laughs> Because I, I would imagine with, you know, going in these gallery style homes, right? Like the, the, the customer, the client, they're not going to want to see any plumbing, right? Or it's going to, it's exactly. going to need to be very, very well hidden. Um, and so, you know, they pl- actually don't know, don't mind. I, they huh. actually don't know the difference. Okay. Most of them don't know. Like they just kind of think do, like, okay, it is what it is. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Like if you just tell them like, yeah, well, this has to be done this way, then they were like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Cool. But to me, I personally just cannot, if, if you, tr- if you're trying to do, recreate something that's natural, obviously you don't want to see any man-made materials mm-hmm. within the work that you create. So 
uh, that's just my perspective on how, well, what, how, how to aquascape. How much direction do these kind of clients give you? It varies. So some of my clients are actually hardcore hobbyists. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, you know, like they're knack deep in the in the hobby. It's just that they don't know how to aquascape. <laughs> yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. For example, I have some clients who are into monster fish. That's why, like, you know, they have the 1,000 gallons or, like, 1,500 gallons setups. And then they want to aquascape their uh, monster fish tank. But then they know all about fish keeping. You know, they keep, like, this one client has a fish that's, um, like, five figures. And then, so they, they know all about fish keeping. It's just that they don't know aquascaping. But then... So those type of clients, they will have a lot of uh, directions, right? They they know exactly what what they want, and then they just talk to you about like how to aquascape and everything. But then there are some clients who are just treating it as a piece of furniture. They just want something you know alive and like that's beautiful in their home or in their office. So those ones are that like they just don't care. What's easier for you, somebody that's going to give you that oversight and specific direction? or somebody that's going to give you basically the blank canvas, do what you want. The easiest type of clients is actually my, um, my fan, like fan of my work. Okay. So I actually have a client who I'm working on, uh, working with right now. He's actually a fan of my work. So he just, that's the easiest ones because he knows he's a hobbyist and he knows what's required. Mm -hmm. And then he also just will give me all the freedom that you know like for me to create so he says i love your style i love your style mark you do it you do it how you want to do it in your style exactly yeah those are the best nice and then so like what kind of guidance would you give somebody that wants monster fish because typically in my head the moment we start talking about monster fish it's like oh that's going to be pretty difficult to get any type of plant life in there because they're you know typically monster fish are going to be cichlids granted there's stingrays and you know some some arowanas fall into that category i mean well there's there's many types of monster fish but predominantly i'm thinking like peacock bass and big old central american cichlids and stuff like that so peacock bass would do very well you know aquascape tank Mm. because they don't they don't bother the plants or they don't try to aquascape themselves right like the big cichlids do and the arowanas are um Arowanas are a little bit tricky just because, um, first of all, they get so big. And secondly, um, they need that space where you don't want them to bump their head on the mm-hmm. lid all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So they want, like, you want a certain, um, you know, like a, a room for be, um, below the lid and the water surface. So for that kind of scape and, um, you want to infuse some paludarium or yeah, you want to infuse some paludarium elements into that kind of scape, right. To make it natural hmm. because you don't want that, you know, just an empty space. Dead on space. Top yeah, of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. On top of the water surface. And, uh, there are a lot of, uh, fish actually, monster fish that are actually really good species for, um, aquascaping. Like, you know, although we can't have, snake has here but then snake has are you know a, almost a perfect uh, monster species for aquascaping as well mm-hmm. just as long as they don't jump out of the aquarium and uh, walk away right 
Exactly. <laughs> I mean, in terms of like, they are, they're just very good monster fish because they get large, they've got big personalities, but then they don't disturb any of the hardscape or the, or the plant material. This is kind of what you're getting at. Exactly. Yeah. And if you think about like the size, uh, the tank size to fish size ratio. So with the large setup, right? If you have, let's say like a 2000 gallons or like something really big, and you have small fish, right? That that are in the uh, in in these type of fish uh, fish tanks. The smaller fish will get so lost in the in the whole view yeah. of the tank that you will just lose them completely if you don't have like a really, you know, sizable fish in the uh, in the tank. For example, I saw this one. Um, I think it's a public aquarium actually. They had this giant aquarium right which is probably like 10,000 gallons or 15,000 gallons at least and they have tanks full of discus right just discus like everywhere right filled with discus that's awesome but when you look at the tank right from afar unless you go like get up like really close right when you look at it from afar all the discus are just lost <laughs> like in, in the view because the fish are, I mean, like, this is, like, it's the size of your hand, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, when full grown. So when you look at it as a, uh, from afar and, you know, holistic picture, yeah, the details are just lost. Interesting. So then your, your bias then would be if somebody's going to do a planted large tank, you would maybe, if they didn't have a preference on livestock, you would almost steer them towards keeping a bigger species of fish so that they can actually appreciate the 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 animal in there as well as opposed to like yeah you know uh, ten thousand I mean, rummy nose tetras or something right if it's uh, if the setup is that big I would definitely pair it up with the uh, you know really sizable fish to be appropriate to that scape interesting interesting okay because I, I would almost think that maybe with a large planted tank you would still do your typical like tetra rasboro like whatever it is kind of species but you would just amplify that like you would just need to stock you know, a half a river's worth of those fish in there so that you get this, you know, amazing massive body of fish um, where kind of your direction is more like that one, you know, like a larger centerpiece fish. For sure, yeah. yeah. Um, and a lot of these uh, predatorial fish, if you look at it, you know, like if you look at it, look at them in their natural environment, right? For example, like when I went to Colombia, you have all these predators live just, you know, coexist in the same body of water with all these little tetras and whatnot you know they live obviously the predators will hunt mm -hmm. and then um but in their natural environment they all coexist in this same type of body of water right and then a lot of times these especially the smaller tetras they're not preyed upon very very often by these like really large right, 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 predators, right. because the re large predators go for sizable fish like yeah. geophagus, like like, or, a, like a tiger shovel nose. Like a tiger shovel nose is not going to go after, um, you know, small rivulous killifish or something like that. You know, even exactly, though they're yeah. like in the same body of water, you know, kind of, um, you know, they're not going to go after the tetras like you're saying, right? They want that that more. Exactly. They they want that expenditure of meal to energy output to be more worth worth their effort right. and especially you know while aquascape tank you want to provide some type of uh uh area where um these schooling small fish can find refuge 
if you know the predators are like they feel threatened by the predators so in you know our home aquaria whatever like if the large predator is well fed then they usually would uh, leave actually just leave the smaller fish alone so then you do mix you will mix smaller schooling fish with uh, with larger monster fish yeah yeah we, okay. we've done we've actually done that yeah okay yeah that almost and it, and it works Nice. That almost feels like, uh, you know, and, and again, I will trust your experience on this, but it's like, man, you do that. And it's like a week later, your clients can be like, Hey, all those little, those little shiny fish. I don't see them anymore. <laughs> yeah. 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 But then did you it, feed, did you feed your big the, fish? The requirement is that the tank is very, very big. Yeah. So it's not just like a thousand. It's like even bigger yeah. than that. Yeah. So you're almost like, I don't want to say like you're making it more difficult for yourself, but you're adding in these extra complex elements to make a more nature-like appropriate aquarium where, you know, it's not just one body size of fish in this planted aquarium. You're almost like you're making it more difficult, but you're getting a better, a better product at the end, right? A more natural product of different body sized fish yeah, in the same it's, it's aquarium. Definitely a lot of headache for myself. <laughs> <laughs> but the outcome though is awesome, right? Yeah, yeah. The outcome is really cool. So uh, it's not something that you get to see um, every day. For yeah. sure. So let's uh, let's segue into Colombia. Uh, how was how was that trip? How did that come about? Because you went with a uh, a fairly large and known personality in the uh, global aquarium, you know, tropical fish world in Heiko Blair. Yeah, so we met actually in the um, in China in during sips of uh, I think 2018. Yeah. And then I, I've been a fan of his for uh, quite a while. And then I knew, I found out that he was actually uh, ch- judging the biotope contest. Mm-hmm. And he was there. So I just, like, you know, like eagerly uh, went over to meet him, at, you know, the biotope section of the show. And he, he's a, he's a nice guy. He, like, despite, you know, what, some people might. He's got a, there's a mixed <laughs> reputation. There's a mixed reputation. But yeah, he he's a super <laughs> nice guy. Like he um very he's very easy to get in conversation of with, right? And then uh, he's eager to share his knowledge. However, you know he has this. Um, I mean, rightfully he have this type of pride, right? Because he he he's pretty legendary in the hobby, and he I mean how many species of fish has uh, his name attached to, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, Blair right Eyes and all that, yeah. He, he demands that type of, uh, like, almost reverence from you a little bit. So you just have to <laughs> kind of, uh, you know, go along with it, and then you won't have any problem. But if your ego is at play and his ego is bigger than life, you will have some tension there. Yeah. So um, we, we got along really, really well, and he... Like right after the show, he invited me go out to to go on you know the different type of uh, ex- expedition with him, and then it just so happened the Columbia one worked out with my time, and that was my first time going to the Amazon. And before I went, I was like, oh, like I'm, I was so worried about all these like different wildlife being dangerous, and like <laughs> I wanted to like, get yeah. all these shots. I didn't know what shots I I, I need to take, and then Heiko just was just very like he he's the chillest person ever and he's just like you don't need any shots to go to go to go to where we go you don't need any shots oh like, nice 
Oh man, there's no mosquito. There's no mosquito where we're going. We're going to like you know Blackwater regions, and mosquitoes hate the acidity in Blackwater. So there's not even gonna be mosquitoes. So I was like, all right, yeah, like I mean, <laughs> your word, like I'm gonna trust your word, obviously. So I went, and sure enough, tons of mosquitoes <laughs> over there. It's South America <laughs> like, in the Amazon. Yeah. Oh we're man. Only Blackwater tributaries for you know like just uh, partially. So the other time like we all were bitten by mosquitoes. You, oh, like the thing I, I bought like you know repellents yeah. that are you, really you know potent. you know what it is. It's guys like Heiko and uh, and if you listen to the episode with Devin Graham who runs MT Amazon, these guys yeah. that basically live in the south you know in, in a tropical world right. Like Devin is originally from Canada, went to school in Florida, but that guy like practically lives. In, in Peru, sure. right? He practically lives in the Amazon. So the mosquitoes, like, they don't want to eat him. They're, like, used exactly. to his blood, right? Where if you and I, we go down there, they're like, what is this exotic meal? I'm going to get down on that. And so, sure, exactly. Heiko may be like, yeah, there's no mosquitoes, because they don't go after him. They've already had Heiko Blair probably 30 he's, years he's ago. He's just so used to it. Exactly. I mean, like, or, or that, they're just so used to it. And even if there's not yeah. mosquitoes, there's a million other bugs that are going to bite you down there. Right, right, now. exactly. And like when <laughs> we're in the black water, he just start using his cup or like he when he's swimming in the river, he just start drinking, you know, like straight <laughs> what up. What a savage. And oh then, my goodness. Yeah, and then I was like, that's not safe to drink. I mean, like there's going to be like parasitics, like problems you're going to have, everything. And he he was just drinking and he he told us like it tastes really good and it's clean. And I was like, ah, do I want to try? <laughs> Tell me you tried it and, and then, got sick. But then the thing is, like, towards the end of our expedition, it was seven days on the river, we ran out of the fresh water that we we, we, we brought with us, right? Oh, so boy. every time we want to drink water, it will have to be boiled mm-hmm. from, you know, like, uh, in, in, in a pan or whatever. So we got to, and, and it was hot, right? We don't want, I don't want to drink hot water. So I was like, you know, after this. I'm gonna I'm gonna try the black water. I mean, Heiko, you know, he's been doing that for so many years. Like he's fine. So I tried it, and it was the best tasting water ever. Like I've never tasted water that good. Interesting. Have you been? It's a, have you much, been up here? Much better. It was much much better than any. Like I don't care. It's like the the what 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 was that really like expensive the pure uh, water? Pure yeah, like whatever. Thing. Like it just. It tasted so much better than anything I've tasted, and then um, you got I'm, sick. I, I was fine. Like when really? I came back, I did a yeah. I went to check up. I was completely fine. Interesting. No parasites. Nothing. Man, that's 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 pretty brazen, man. That's pretty brazen taking a taking some swigs of uh of, of river water in the Amazon in Colombia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like it was it was super clean yeah. and it tasted really really good. My my luck. I mean, my luck. Obviously, I, I don't recommend it to. When people. I would go, when I would go to probably taste the water in the Amazon, my luck would be that there is a jaguar like upstream from me, like taking a leak <laughs> in the water, like right as I'm drinking, and then that's what gets me sick. I'm like this. <laughs> I'm like this tastes terrible, and then I get sick from it. Would uh would probably be my uh, luck. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's probably diluted enough that yeah, it, it's fine. But I mean. But yeah, the water was was amazing. Nice. So, so here's the thing about traveling with Heiko. I actually want to really want to do MT Amazon. Like after I I I, I never heard about it until I heard the podcast. So I'm gonna definitely let's do go. One of, let's go, days. man. It was a blast. Yeah, 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 for sure. But then the thing about traveling with Heiko is that you have to do whatever he tells you to do. So you're basically on the mission. 
on Heiko's mission. So you're helping him accomplishing his mission. And his mission is not to fool around. Like he, yeah, like he doesn't mess around, right? Like he goes to a destination to discover new species right. and discover species. So he, like, for example, when, when we passed by this uh, part of the river and it was black water, it was beautiful. The lighting was good. We just wanted to do some, uh, you know, like um, snorkeling, right? And then just wanted to take some footage in the beautiful water. And then he's like, no, we, we don't have time. So we <laughs> basically went to Rio Inirida and then started from the port, go upstream in this raw iron boat, which uh, I sent you some links and you can, you can check out. But uh, this uh, raw iron boat that sits probably like eight like two in each row and then we had a, like one single propeller engine in the back and we traveled upstream for 250 miles to get to this remote really really remote uh blackwater waterfall that's a that's long time tall. that's a that's a long distance to go oh it was and then we had to cross miles. five you know five rapids each way and then when we crossed uh, those rapids they're essentially mini waterfalls. Mm -hmm. So we have to empty out the boat, right? Put like all the luggages and the engine onto like the dry, dry land. And then we'll have to drag the boat up like ancient Egyptian yeah. style. I saw, I, mean, like, I saw your video of that. Yeah. Yeah. That was crazy over them. And then, yeah, that was hard. So the entire trip was just like almost like a scientific mission kind of. So, and he, this guy who is like 70, well, he was 75 back then, 75 year old guy. Like he's, you know, like leading everybody in like, in terms of like dragging the boat and everything. And then he has in his hand, like this really just like a beat up notebook. And then in that notebook is just copious amount of writing. And he's just like logging everything, recording everything everywhere he goes. Right. Like about the, uh, water parameters about like you know where the location about like you know the names of like each little tiny tributaries it's amazing like i mean yeah. i i was in awe but yeah, there's the trip the was was pretty harsh because we were on the water on the boat actually for over 10 hours a day just just you know trying to get get to where we we're, were going it was a seven days trip and yeah like we didn't really get to play all that much Mm -hmm. And when you're traveling on the big, big, uh, big river, which is the real Inirida, it's white water and alongside the bank, it's all the same. You try, you're basically seeing like the same thing for 10 hours a day. Mm -hmm. It's like, we were just napping. Like at, at first we, we got really excited, but then later on we were just napping. Like it was, uh, it was really tiring. Well, did you go during the dry season or the wet season? I went in the dry season, okay. but it was uh, it was starting to get into the rainy season. Okay, yeah, I so mean, I, from from the way you describe that, right, talking with you firsthand, and then also the videos and the and the pictures that you have posted of of this expedition, like you absolutely got the trial by fire for international wild fish collecting. Like, oh, I yeah. I don't think there is a more difficult wild fish collecting type of trip than what you did right so because you skipped over the part where you guys flew in a dc3 like a world war ii era propeller yeah. like dual propeller kind of cargo plane so you flew yeah. in one of those things right yeah, yeah. and then you you got on the boat to do the the 250 mile trip right right i mean so the funny part about the dc3 was um 
we were like questioning if it's safe or not. And then Heiko obviously is like, that's the safest plane ever built. So we're like, all right, that's cool. Got on. And then like, obviously, like after the trip was done, I came back home. And then I was telling everybody, like, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, it's the safest plane ever built. It like, you know, it's World War II era and like it lasted till now. And then two weeks, not even two weeks after I came back from the expedition, somebody sent me a news link, right? A link to news that one of these DC-3s fell and then all like 20 some passengers died like in Peru or like Colombia. Mm -hmm. I forgot. And then so me and my friends like who, you know, my... uh, my teammates from from the trip, we did a research at man, like there were <laughs> substantial amount of planks of DC threes that fell. Yeah. So it's not the safest. Well, I I think what 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 you find now, and I'm you know I've worked in aerospace, I, I know a little bit of aviation, but I think what's happening is you know these planes have been in service forever, and they're in countries that might not have the aerospace infrastructure where you have all of our you know rated mechanics that are you know that are that are right. uh, trained to to. Uh, properly maintain and operate these these pieces of, of equipment and you know there, at some point like you know you're gonna lose a fan belt or you're gonna lose something you know you're gonna lose a, a, a very important cable that connects your rear rudder to something yep. and you know it's not like a car where it's just gonna sputter and you pull over to the side of the road right you're all of a sudden yeah, now yeah. you're now you're doing glide paths down into the jungle and there's really and that's what that's super sketchy too because it's not like you've got a big old interstate five super to land sketchy. on even even there's the trees plane everywhere. that I was on even the plane that I was on, I I actually saw one of like um, so one of the bolt <laughs> on the wing oh, yes. was just like jumping up and down, up oh, and down, up and down. Like it just man. never flew out entirely, but then it was just like you know jumping up and down, up and down. Like the entire trip, I was like, man, that's that's pretty dangerous, right? <laughs> uh, like you know, Heiko was just like he didn't, didn't mind anything. He was just like writing down notes in, like uh, on his notebook. I was like, wow. That uh, is so awesome. Nerve of steel. That is so awesome. Well, I, I will say, so th- there's two parts of that. One is I absolutely want to do like a bushwhacking, let's go look for new species. It's going to be brutal kind of expedition. Like I absolutely oh, yeah. want to do one of those, right? And you, you that was your first one that you did. Um, the second part of this is if we do, if you do empty Amazon, um, it is going to be like staying at the Hilton. You know, it's going to be like staying at the Waldorf Astoria <laughs> compared to this expedition. That's what I want. That's that, that's all. I, I mean, want, dude, the the breakfast, lunch, and dinner, the the Esperanza, the boat that you're on. I mean, you know, even even Akitos. Like there was, there really wasn't anything where it's like, oh man, I'm suffering. You know, like sure, the yeah. two bathrooms on the boat, they're not as awesome as you would like them to be. But you know, I I I'll take that statement back. They were fine. They were fine. You know, you're in the Amazon. You're not really going very far from Iquitos. You know, it, you're stopping fairly frequently to look for different types of fish, and you're getting in yep. the water. You're playing around. We're having mud fights on the bank on the Amazon, and you're nice. just having you're just having an awesome time. And then guess what? In the evening, you want to go fish for some piranha? Let's do it. You know, let's fish for some piranha. Let's we'll, we'll cook them up for dinner. Like, see, that's the thing as well. Like, um, so I have other friends who went on to different collecting trips in Brazil or whatever. And they just told, like, re, uh, you know, reaccounted that the t- the amount of wildlife over there was just so abundant, right? Like, you just like he, like see a flock of macaws, yes, like macaws yes. like flying overhead and everything, and then like monkey howling everywhere. Not the case. We're win win. So <laughs> we like <laughs> yeah, the place like we went we went. 
I hardly saw any large ma- like mammals. I didn't I didn't see any mammals actually. Now none. And then birds. The only birds I saw was some storks and uh, some kingfishers. That's it. You know, and then, like no Macau. Like you you don't even hear it. And then I heard some like noise from animals. You know, and in, in the night when we we camped on the beach, and then shortly after those uh, wildlife uh, wildlife like the noise that the wildlife make, you hear gunshots. And then I'll oh, be wow. like, what is going on? And then they're like, oh yeah, yeah, the indigenous people are forming a hunting party for uh, uh, capybaras. Mm. And yeah, and we just didn't see any wildlife. You know, to to be so fair, sad. to be fair, you know, aside from the fish that we're collecting, I think birds, right? So definitely seeing, uh, definitely seeing parrots flying up up above. Uh, and this is before like I was really into birding, and so I, I had brought, right. brought like some small binoculars. But maybe next time I'd bring my big old telephoto lens and my better binoculars um, and actually focus a little bit more on the birding. But we didn't see, you know, there's no there's no large or medium mammals or anything like that. I don't even think we saw a caiman on this trip. Um, even though we did go out at night once and uh, and actually look for just try to see if we'd see any caiman or do some nighttime collecting, but y- yeah, I guess from that experience, other than like the dogs that were in the villages, you know, there there really were no, um, you know, you're not going to see like the capybaras lapping at the side of the the river or anything. Or um, right, right, I guess sure. I guess Dean got lucky on one of his trips a few years back. You know, they actually saw that jaguar at nighttime on the on Dude, kind of the sandbar. That is so that's so yeah. incredible because. Uh... The only time you usually see a jaguar is before you get eaten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I would say though is you know the, the empty Amazon expedition. Like to to also put it in perspective, they did um, two trips back to back, right? So the first group went for a week, and then the second group went for a week, and I was in the second group. And so there was this like one day overlap where the first group they had come back to Iquitos. I met up with them, and so I'm kind of traveling around the bus with them as they go to the exporters to process their fish. And one of the guys there, you know, he's probably in his mid 40s. He brought along his two daughters that were like eight and nine, and so nice. they were they were on this empty Amazon expedition, and they spent half the time, I guess, playing and like doing mud fights. But these two little nice. girls like just loved it, right? So it's you know That's it's so awesome. it's totally something. And I'm not trying to say that it's going to be you know it's you know you're you're getting stabbed by the the. <laughs> thorny pines you're getting bit by everything under the sun you, you know you the bathroom accommodation is what it is but the food the crew the boat like everything about it was so awesome and i would say um you know you you absolutely had the trial by fire for tropical fish collecting <laughs> yeah. and this is just going to be like this is amazing like this is absolutely you know the best kind of expedition that, that you would want to go on uh from, sure, a, from a creature sure. comfort perspective i mean like i i don't want to <laughs> like paint the picture just with like the only bad things about uh my trip with high oh, sure, sure. It's, it's definitely not i yeah. mean like it's if you're seeking adventure that's it well, I would I would pre- like, like that, I would I would call it. it I would call it old school like expeditionary. I, I just got done watching with my wife. We watched um, Lost City of Z on Amazon with oh, okay. Charlie Hunan, and it's basically about this English explorer uh, back in like the 1910s or something that wanted to map the boundaries of. He was commissioned to go map the, and, and this is based on the movie, which is based on history, which is probably you know loose at best. But um, he had gone to the Amazon to do some mapping. There was a property dis- or uh, a boundary dispute between a couple countries. And while he was there, he kind of uncovered what he thought would be like a lost civilization. Mm. And so what I'm what I what I'm getting at is that this like your Heiko Blair expedition is like old school. Like they don't I don't think they make people like that anymore that are just 
willing to just absolutely rough it and are totally not used to like modern day creature comforts. You know, like right. you're just going out there and everybody's getting sick. Everybody, like there's no, you know, you're not getting any immunization shots and you're like basically starving the entire time you're out there, but like old school expedition. And you, totally. you, you I lost went 10 pounds on, over that trip. <laughs> you lost 10 pounds over the trip? Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. So you my were like. My wife was happy though. My wife was happy <laughs> That's <about> hilarious. <laughs> so like you went on like the closest thing that we probably have in this modern day to one of those like old school 1800s, 1900s kind of expeditions. Like I as don't. As close like, as uh, you could get. I mean, obviously with the modern transportation and everything. And then, uh, uh, oh, this is a shocker, right? So. We we're already in deep in, in uh, upstream, very very deep in 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 the in the rainforest, and then we pass by. It. So they have these little, uh, little very tiny villages mm-hmm. of indigenous people, you know, residing on the banks. So we pass by one of these uh, villages to make a stop, and they actually had Wi-Fi. The chief was just on his chair, like lounge chair, right? <laughs> and he was just scrolling on his phone. Like, uh, the, that's all he did. The, we're like, holy crap, how is there, how is that even possible? So apparently, you know, like the Kalimian government actually would build some uh, some of these very, uh, you know, high-tech infrastructure all, all the way into the rainforest. And then, uh, so that kind of like blew my mind. I'm like, what, right? Like Wi-Fi in this part of the town? And then when we, I think it was day five, this is when we were making our way back down the river, right? And then Heiko was actually, because we were hungry, like we were running out of food, like there's no sweets, <laughs> and like I was dying for like a chocolate or like some bread even. And then uh, Heiko said, oh, today we're going to go replenish, replenish some food. So there's a mall actually in the village, you know, remember the village that had Wi-Fi? And then like, yeah, yeah, that, that, the village, we're going to, uh, go to that mall and then you can buy whatever you want. I was like, hell yeah. Some like Cinnabon, you know? At that, yeah. At that point <laughs> I was like, cause I, at first I was like a mall, like uh, you're shitting me. But then, <laughs> then I, I remember the Wi-Fi thing. I'm like, well, they have Wi-Fi, So you know, like that, that's, I mean, it could be possible. So I got like, that got me really hyped up. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to get chocolate. I'm going to get <laughs> bread. I'm going to Coke, everything. And then like, w- uh, sure enough, when we get there, it was just a hut with the, what they, like the locals make, it's called manioc. And then it's basically like starch of, um, uh, what, what is it called? Just like some starch of, uh, these roots like tasted like just nasty like a, tar- like a taro root maybe although those uh, are hawaii i don't know tapioca 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 okay yeah starch of tapioca and then uh they have just these green plantains which they just put it on you know next to the fire to get smoked and then you eat like a raw potato basically but it was the most delicious thing you'd ever eaten, right? No, no. <laughs> like your hunger. Anything. But then I was so let down from not there not being a mall. <laughs> it, was, it, was, uh, it was incredible. Oh man. So I would I mean I would still go back and say, like, you know, if somebody wants to do this level of expedition, right? If you want to like be at the forefront of like let's go look for some new species, like this is what it it is, right? Like you can only That's pack so much is. food and fresh water to yeah. go and deep, this deep guy, into I the mean, jungle. It was- it was like, I mean, there's a lot of risk involved in the you know, expedition like that because 
our boat only had one single propeller engine and we were traveling through some very um, treacherous water. Mm-hmm. So the, at this one point, we actually hit something in the water because the water level was low. And then in a, a river that's like half a mile wide, yeah. right? We were in the middle of the water. And who would know that in the middle of the water, there's a huge boulder that's just like two inches below the oh, surface. Oh, jeez. And the boatman, he should be able to see, like he should be able to tell from his experience. But I don't know why somehow like he just uh, didn't see it. And then we just rammed onto that boulder and got stuck. Oh, man. Um, uh, it was like just like, uh, you know, a freaking collision. And then luckily we didn't hit our engine mm-hmm. in the back, right? We just kind of like rammed onto the, the boulder. And then we all got out to stand on the boulder which is like invisible to your your eye and then it's almost like you're standing on the on top of the river and then have like you know kind of like push the boat back into the water so if our engine got hit there's just absolutely no way we can make it to the our destination and the entire trip will be canceled and also that if we lose the propeller and we're our boat is like just in the river without you know uh you know, uh, a way to move power. Yeah. Right. Propulsion. Then we are just easily going to be capsized and all of our equipment and whatnot, like we're just flowing to the water. So there's definitely risk. What's the the contingency? Like what's the contingency? Like what's the rescue plan? Is it like Colombian, the Colombian national guard comes and helicopters you out? The contingency plan was whatever Heiko would come up with. That's fantastic. Share with us either so we were just like okay let's just do this with the you, you definitely need some naivety you know um uh-huh. to to go along you just gotta <laughs> trust in it and you know and to be fair like the guy how many times like even starting as he's he's a kid right like his mom uh i think it's amanda blair like going into brazil being some of the first people to like import or export discus you know like mm-hmm. way back in the day way back in the day and that's 50s. his mom when he's a kid so he's gone, like, how many times has this guy gone out into the wild all over the world and come back alive, right? To reach exactly. to reach this ripe old age of, you know, 77, 78 years old, however old he is now. Like, there's a certain level of, yeah, you know, he's he's clearly figured something out. Yeah, he's 76, and we share the same birthday. Oh, nice. 40 years apart. <laughs> nice. Yeah, good stuff. See, it yeah, was meant to so, be. It was meant to I be. Mean, Whatever he's doing is just incredible, and he contributed so much to the hobby. And then, like, you know, a lot of uh, hobbyists nowadays, through the power of the internet, you know, they will just research. And I mean, yeah, they will, they'll do legit research, and then they will, you know, like, whatever they say, whatever information they get is probably true and probably real. However, they just kind of like argue with Heiko about certain facts about the fish and then kind of like not giving him the respect that he deserves because he's actually like out there, you know, like in the water, yeah. just freaking like doing his thing. Like it's hard, like really hard work. I mean, we went to, after we got back to uh, Porto Inirida, right, which is the little port town that we that we started off from. Right after he got to the hotel, like we were all beat, right? We were all just like, like, hit hit the bed and we went to sleep. This guy didn't sleep at all. He was packing his fish, 
he collected all these fish. Mm-hmm. He was packing them. Like he has to water do the water yeah. change for them. He was photographing them. He was writing notes. He was moving stuff, like trying to pack everything. Didn't sleep at all. So the second day, we went back to another village, like another town, Villa Vicencio, which is a bigger city. And we basically left him, you know, in that city because he had some other people, another expedition, right, coming. So he had to go to the airport to pick pick them up and then start the expedition right away. So he didn't even sleep for like days. Yeah, that's just that's just cut from a different a different type of cloth, man. Like no, that is just for sure. That obviously. is just crazy. Uh, 100%, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was tired. Like every time we'd go out collecting, like, you know, coming back to the boat and just being able to chill out for an hour or two, eat some lunch and then maybe go back yeah. out again. You know, I was tired from those, you know, like how, how, how wimpy am I that like the most posh, I know, right? like the most I mean, posh tropical fish collecting. And I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of tired. You know, we were out there farting around for about an hour. Then we got back in the boat, and it was only like a 10-minute ride back to the main boat. And now we're lounging in these awesome, like, rebar recliner chairs that yeah, Cor- yeah. Corey fell in love with these things. And they're actually pretty legit. And they're only, like, cool. I've only ever seen them in Peru. They're, like, all made yeah. out of rebar, but they're rocking chairs. Nice. So I think we might actually import some of those one of these days. But, um, oh, nice. you know, it's I, I could not imagine. I commend you, dude. I commend you for going on this thing. I, I assume you yeah, did. Yeah, I mean, like, I was so tired that, like, I... <laughs> We caught this really nice uh, Sitanoperca. I, I don't know which type it is, but it was like it's a full grown, and then uh, it's just so pretty. And I wanted to bring bring it home, but then first of all, like I was super tired, so I was like, ah, oh, I don't even want to deal with anything <laughs> about like, export. And then when I, when I told uh, told Heiko that I wanted to, you know, bring that fish home, and then he was like, what's the point? I'm like, what do you mean? What's the point? Like I caught this fish, and then. He's like, well, yeah, but there's no female, so you don't have a pair. Like, why do you want to bring just one male home that you can't even breed? I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I just want, you know, the fish from like that, that I caught from the trip. Yeah. So I'm really jealous that you guys are able to, uh, you know, catch the wild discus in in uh, Peru. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I think if I if I were to do it over again, I'd probably only would have brought those discus back. You know, you get a little bit of like this collecting fever. It's like, oh, right, you know, right, it's right. like, oh, I want to bring them all back with me. And originally, I said that I wasn't going to bring back fish, right? If if I was, yeah. it was only going to be discus. Day one, we get discus uh, from that from that discus, you know, kind of quote unquote farm. And then after that, it's like, okay, I'm good. But then it's like, oh man, look at these awesome angels that we caught yeah, from this yeah, little yeah. lake, and they were jumping in the water. And it's like Corey and me out there with nets, like diving after them, and you know, pulling these logs up. And all of a sudden, all these giant autos are falling off with plecos, and you're catching. And then, like, there's so much you, you get so excited and wrapped up in the moment that it's like, I got to bring these all home where sure. hopefully, hopefully in future collecting trips, like I, I, I want to temper that and not actually bring the fish back mm. unless unless it is something just incredibly amazing, because then you end up bringing them back and, um, you know, maybe you've got male, female pairs, maybe you don't. And then it just kind of not that it takes up space, but I feel like everything I've brought back has, has gone to a good home. Um, and I was able to breed the epistogrammas that I brought back, which was nice. cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, then having to be responsible for doing all the water changes on the boat, right. which, you know, again, like if you want that four seasons kind of luxury and you just want to go hang out on the rebar chairs <laughs> or, you know, do you want to yeah. spend the next hour doing water changes? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, you know, to each his own, like whatever you want to do. And I, and I guess I don't necessarily regret doing it because 
I have to have the experience in order to form, you know, my opinion on it and, and how exactly. I feel. And so I've done that at least once, brought back a bunch of fish, you know, so I know what that process feels like and what it looks like. And, you know, maybe in the future, I'll only bring back like one really, really select species of fish that I really mm-hmm. absolutely feel like I have to have from the wild to, to work For with. Sure. Um, yeah. All right, Mark. Well, man, we're hitting the, we're hitting an hour and a half, brother. This has been uh, <laughs> this has been a lot of fun, man. Um, yeah. So we'll uh, we'll definitely make sure we've got links to your Facebook or your Instagram, Nature Design Studio, um, and then we'll connect if there's anything else you'd like me to include in the show notes. But I've definitely had a, a blast talking with you, and we'll definitely have to have you on again and you know dive into any more of these topics or talk about your time collecting fish in China or you know anything like that. Or maybe hopefully sure. next time you know we'll, we'll just see each other at uh, you know in person, right? When, uh, yeah, when yeah, travel opens yeah. back. Up. I like that. All right, Mark. Well, thank you very much, man. You have a great rest of your day. Thank you.